great to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. With me and my guests from around the world. Welcome to the Simon Filer podcast. Welcome to this podcast. Let's get into it, shall we? On the Simon Filer podcast. Well, I feel like I've been through an intensive four-day leadership course today, wrapping up the session with Martin G. Moore's debut audiobook, No Bullshit Leadership. Martin spent 30 plus years in management and countless hours over the last 15 years as a senior executive mentoring leaders. And when he received the teary phone call from his daughter, Emma, where she said, and not for the first time, Dad, I love my job, but my boss has no idea what she's doing and I just want to quit. Martin realised then that across a broad spectrum of businesses, most leaders just do not have a clue how to lead. In fact, he said he could count the number of exceptional leaders he's worked with on just one hand. Welcome, Martin G. Moore, to my podcast. Hey, Simon. Great to be here. I feel like I know you so well after four days recording with you. (laughs) I know. It's pretty intense, isn't it? It's like, you know, I'm picking you up on every little tiny little breath and pop that you've got going there. I know. That's the common theme in my life. Critical women around me. It's great. (laughs) Keep me honest. That's why you've written this book, Martin. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Well, I want to investigate a little bit more about that phone call with Emma and how it paved the way to you being here now. Yeah, good question. I mean, that was one conversation in a stream of many over a few years. Um, It stands out particularly in Emma's mind more than it does mine, but um, I used to talk her off the ledge once every few weeks, and I think her observation was, okay, I can always call my dad, and he'll have an answer for me, and he'll have a a coping strategy. But my friends don't, Mm. and the people I mix with don't, and the leaders I work for don't. Mm. And so how do we actually get some of this stuff into their hands? And Mm. so that's really what started her thinking down the lines of, we've got to get this out into the world, rather than having you only giving this to a company you're working for. Clever girl. Oh, she's very clever. She's she's the lifeblood of this business. She really is. Yeah, well, I was actually going to say, um, who's in charge? Who's running the place? Is it yourself or Emma now? Well, she is. Um, she's the CEO of your CEO mentor, really because she handles all of the stuff that gets our product to market. Right. So I specialise in the content. Now, obviously, after you know a 33-year career where I've run you know multi-billion dollar businesses, I'm pretty buttoned down on, you know, strategy, marketing, finance, and all that sort of stuff, but it is a new world. Yes. And she knows this new world because she's run a marketing agency. So she knows how it all hangs together, and she knows how the world of marketing, promotion, and uh, content is actually leveraged. Right. So she's definitely the driving force, there's no doubt about it. And I really like the way that you always go back to her, giving her, obviously, the power she deserves, saying I have to get in touch with Emma to find out if I can be there, if I can stay longer, so obviously... You're talking the truth when you're talking about your no bullshit lead, leadership that you actually know how to implement and actually to yeah, de- a- deliver. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And it's all about results. And we have um, we have the right accountabilities in place. So um, I don't step across her turf and she doesn't step across mine, although we're constantly aware of what each other is doing mm. and we're constantly talking about things and seeking each other's advice on the things that we're working on. So I'll say to her, you know, hey, what do you think of this topic? How do you think it's going to go with our, our community? And she'll equally say, you know, do you like this um, creative I've prepared for today's posts? Yeah. So we're, we're constantly bouncing things off each other, but we trust each other to do the job we do. Yeah. That's one of, another thing that I love about your book, to actually trust people in the oh, job absolutely. that they're doing. Absolutely. So let's go way back before Emma was a twinkle in your eye. What did you want to be when you grew up? You know, it's funny because I, I don't have any real defining memory 
of what I wanted to be. Right. As I got older, um, I was brought up in Sydney, and I went to one of you those... You won't hold that against you. <laughs> Although I suppose with you know, the horrendous origin result last night. Yeah, you know, you know, Sydney still feels like home when I go there, even though I've been in uh, Brisbane for 20 years right. now. Right. I still love Sydney. I love its energy. Um, but, you know, you've got to have a lot of money to live in Sydney, Will. You, you do. Uh, so, um, so it's a different sort of lifestyle there. And we love the weather in Queensland as well, given that we're just about to move to a cold part of the US. Mm. Um, but... Uh, when I was growing up, I went to a, a very exclusive school in Sydney. My parents weren't wealthy, but they really believed in education, so they sent us all to great schools. And um, when I came out of that school, I was fortunate enough to have qualified for any degree course in any university in the country. Fabulous. So I didn't want to be a doctor. I, um, I started off doing law at the University of Sydney, and I hated it. <laughs> not because there was anything wrong with the course, not because I you know, couldn't adapt to the law, but I was just coming out of six years in an all-boys boarding school. Right. And I had no interest in doing any more study yeah. because I'd discovered beer, dating, and rugby oh. and that that was a, a full-time force in my life and I had time to work to earn the money to do that and that was about all. Mm. So I scraped through a couple of years um, by not going to lectures and tutorials and you know, just doing the very, very bare minimum. They say in undergraduate degrees, 50 is a pass, and 51's too much work. Right. So I took that I took that approach to heart. But when I started dropping below the 50 mark, uh, it wasn't very popular. And I didn't want to do it anyway. So um, I got into uh, software development yeah. and started working for a bank as a software developer. And my career developed from there. Well, it's certainly kind of taken a bit of a different spin to where you are now. Uh, how did the leadership journey then come you know, after you started working in those industries. Was it as a manager? Yes, it was, um, certainly as a project manager, but I'd, I'd realised straight away that the people I was working for didn't have good leadership skills. And I was pretty much left to my own devices to work out what I should do, how I should do it, um, you know, set my own uh, standards for excellence where they wouldn't set it for me. But uh, I found that the skills I had in leadership and the capability I was developing over time was really a differentiator. And I learned fairly early on that I could only go so far on my own individual brilliance, such as it was, uh, and that I really needed to work out how to get the most out of other people. Mm. And it was that journey, that unbelievably unquenchable desire to find out what made people tick and to help unlock that, that really drove me forward. Mm. And how did you find that you actually had that gift to do that with people? Uh, I guess a lot of it goes back to um, how I was brought up, and it wasn't a gift. It was really something I worked on. I mean, anyone can work on this stuff. Unlocking people's potential starts first with connection and connecting with them and developing a level of trust. And once you do that, you really have a lot of power to help them. Mm. Without that, you have no power. They, they, they're not listening. The shutters are down. And so being able to do that is incredibly powerful. And I am at least a fast learner, so when I see that stuff and see how it works, I go, oh, shit, do more of that. That's a good idea. Do more of that. Mm. And so it was through trial and error finding the things that worked and didn't. And, of course, every individual is different, so there are so many different permutations and combinations that it's a never-ending social experiment to see what works best with all different types of people. Mm, obviously still ongoing. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, you never reach the finish line. Yeah, that's right. You'll remember that quote from the book from John Wooden which says, 
It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was one thing that made me go cold. There were many things in the book that made me go cold. I have actually jotted down the page of the printed copy, 275, because that's got oh, yeah. the rundown. <laughs> that's right. Of exactly what, like... A Cu- couple of those com- <laughs> common use expressions, yeah. Yeah, sure. there's very interesting things that you cover in the book with the... Um, in particular, we chatted about yes- after yesterday's session with the golfer who, you know, four out of ten people... Uh, of the professionals actually land on the on the green. Yeah, the fairway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I'll tell that you're yeah, clearly, you're clearly not a golfer, Simon. That's okay. That's okay. Neither am I really. I was really? this morning. You couldn't hit the ball. Well, you should see how bad I have. I've tried to hit the ball once. That was enough. <laughs> I just messed up the grass. Yeah, and that look. I think I think we can learn a lot from professional sports about the concept of perfectionism, and even though they're constantly working to get better. Perfectionism is just not in the game. Mm. And so that quote I used in the book is that of the top professional golfers, the top five professional golfers in the PGA Tour, these guys are making millions of bucks every year. They only hit the fairway after they tee off 60% of the time. Four times out of 10, they don't hit the ball where they intend to. Yeah, that's crazy. And that's an incredible statistic. Yeah, to make us think, the top you know, of the world. You don't gotta be perfect. You just got to do things consistently the right way and just keep improving and do it as well as you can. Mm. And that's another thing I love about your book. You always reference excellence over perfection. Totally, yeah. totally. You've been a very busy man. So obviously you're working together with your daughter on your CEO mentor, Emma. Uh, you have written a book. Have you written that together or you penned it yourself? No, this falls into my belly week of content. Right. So yeah, so I wrote the whole thing myself. Yeah. yeah. And how long did it take you to write? Well, funny you should mention that because <laughs> I sort of feel almost responsible for the COVID pandemic when it hit last year. Oh, okay. We've I got was, someone to blame, was, finally. <laughs> you, you may have someone, I tell you, because it was only two weeks before we started the lockdowns in Australia right. that I was on the phone to Emma complaining about the fact that I couldn't find writing time. Oh, no. I had a very busy client load at the time. <laughs> and the universe opened. I know, I said to her, I said, I said Em, I just need three months lockdown no clients, I just need to write this book. And she said, okay, Deb, but how are you going to get that? I said, I just I just need to find a way. I need to find a way. Lo what? and behold, two weeks later, the country shuts down. I mean, you that should have seen hilarious. the look on my face. I'm going, shit, did I do that? Sorry, everyone. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, but, laughing out loud. I'm a great believer <laughs> in the universe. I know, I know, I know. You are responsible. Well, so it certainly gave you some time then. Yes, it did. Yeah, and and I locked myself away. And, and you can't just sit down and keep writing until you finish. It's it's a thing where you have to write and reflect upon and come back on. Mm. So um, I think I first put the proposal up to seek a literary agent in in the US in um, probably September, early September of twenty nineteen. We had. The agent acquired Jim Levine, who's a fantastic agent, one of the top guys in New York, um, picked up the project. That's sensational. Congratulations. Really good. good. Yeah, thank you. Uh, None of which I could have done without Nick Morgan, who's my mentor, who knows this industry back to front, publishing and speaking, and has guided me every step of the way. So huge kudos to Nick. Mm. Um, But uh, Jim, of course, gave us some publishing options. We went with Rosetta Books, fantastic publishing house. Uh, We deal directly with the CEO, uh, Arthur Klebanoff, who's a great guy but they have the power and global distribution might of Simon & Schuster. So we get the best of both worlds, you know, a small publishing house with the distribution might of S&S, which is brilliant. Yeah, that's massive. So uh, so we signed the contract with S&S in March. 
I committed to deliver the book by the end of August of 2020. Okay. So, so exactly a year to the day from delivering the manuscript, it will be published in the US. Oh, exciting So 31 times. August 2020, we delivered it. 31st of August 2021, it hits the bookshelves. That is insanely quick. It is, but it's... Um, but the writing process itself was probably only three or four months at the most. Right. And, um, you know, there were many, many revisions, chapter by chapter, and then the whole thing to find out what it was missing and, yeah. you know, to put those things in. There's a very, very structured process. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the quote from Mark Twain uh, where he wrote a letter to someone and he started off by saying, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have time. So there's a lot of discipline in writing in a tight and succinct way so that it's simple enough, but not oversimplified. Yeah, absolutely. So we spend a lot of time on the style as well. Yeah. Well, I think that from going through the content, it is very easily understood. Your points are very um, specific and very modern, I've got to say, because I've also worked in, in industry, in particular in the radio industry. And yeah, leaders in that industry. <laughs> I remember one guy saying to me that I would have to work it out myself, one of my leaders. Absolutely. I'm yeah. like, well, can you give me sort of some instructions yeah, yeah. as to what I'm doing right Looking here? for clues, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, see, the problem is it's not that it's not they're bad people. It's not that they have any, any ill intent or anything else. It's just that they don't focus on it. They don't pay attention to developing the leadership capability they need to have to be decent leaders for their mm, people. Mm. They just focus on their technical skills and their competencies there. And so many very, very senior executives, like, like people being paid you know, a million dollars to $5 million a year in salary aren't good leaders. They're super smart. They're, they're really experienced and knowledgeable. They've got good judgment. They understand risk. They're, they're really good operators. But as leaders, they're terrible. Mm. And so, you know, you see this over and over again, and I saw a lot of it in my corporate career. Yeah. You definitely saw holes in there, and you've certainly filled them with, you know, some of the information in your book. Um, leadership is not about going back and telling your you know, subordinates how to do their job or I can do this better or you do it like that. It's actually about letting, letting them grow and, yeah. and leading them. Absolutely. Create the vacuum and let them fill it. Yeah. And if they can't, find someone who can. It's oh. pretty straightforward yeah. if you say it fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're thinking about being a good leader, and you actually make a comment in the book, in your book about, you know, when I asked you what did you want to be when you grew up, no one says, I want to be like a No, a they leader. all want to be astronauts and firefighters, right? No <laughs> yeah. one wants to be a leader. That's right. It's hard yakka. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, people do. And if you do want to do it, then you need to read Martin G. Moore's book, um, No Bullshit Leadership, I or, and listen to the audio when it comes out, hopefully, around about the time this podcast is out it should be out and about um, at your favorite online retailer but Martin not only have you written a book you're a public speaker as well how did that all come about well I probably started there um, you know speaking has always been one of the things in communication in particular whether it's written or, or verbal has been one of my strengths from a young age so I was a champion debater at school um, I sort of carried that through I always love the opportunity of getting out on a stage in front of people and in fact, when I'm, when I'm at my most comfortable and energised and just in my space, in my sweet spot, it's when I'm on stage. Mm. And whether it's, you know, 100 people or 1,000 people or hopefully in the US, you know, tens of thousands of people, that's where I'm at my happiest. Mm. And so that's what I gravitate towards. Yeah. Now, of course, with everything closed down for the last you know, year or two, very, very difficult um, for the speaking circuit. And Australia is very small in any case. Yeah. But over in the US, it's starting to pick up again. 
and I'll be there in the fall speaking season uh, over there. For, for those Australians who are listening, that's autumn. Uh, <laughs> but I'll be there for the fall publishing and speaking season. And um, that's how I intend to spend the majority of my uh, waking hours is doing that and content production. Are you moving there? Yeah. Yeah, physically. Yeah, yeah, I'm homeless at the moment. Wow. So we, we sold our house in Brisbane a couple of weeks ago, settled right. in a couple of weeks. This is and, happening. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my wife's a Bostonian. Right. So as soon as my visa comes through, we're just waiting for the finishing touches on that, uh, we'll jump a plane and we're off. Mm, well, all the best of success. I'm sure that you're going to smash it over there. Yeah, thanks, Simone. Yeah. We're looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. I, it's going to be an adventure, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're going to meet amazing people. I love the Americans. They're very forgiving and want to hear what you have to say. You yeah. know what I mean? They're very open. And, yeah, I'm sure you're going to smash it over there, showing them how to lead. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I certainly hope so. And, look, you know, we could have stayed here. We had a just a fabulous life here, very comfortable. Love Brisbane, love Australia, love our friends. Um, of course, both my daughters are in Sydney. Yeah. So we just love the lifestyle here. But, you know, you're only alive once, right? That's so you've right. got to have a crack. YOLO, as my Absolutely. kids say. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. Um, all right. So, well, you basically said what's next for you. Um, how can people get in contact with you? Because not only do you do that, you also mentor. Um, yes. So how can people contact you? So the speaking and uh, book website, martingmore.com, uh, is going to be up. Very shortly, it'll be up by the time this is released. This oh, podcast, awesome, um, and also yourceomentor.com, uh, exactly as it sounds. Your CEO Mentor, yep. uh, that's where you can see all of our products in terms of the podcast and online programs and things like that. A lot of freebies on that site to have a look yeah, at. Yeah, I did have a look, so yeah, have, yeah, very and, generous. And I think the best way is uh, the podcast, you know, no bullshit leadership. If you're in Australia, just go into any of your podcast players. Type in the word leadership, and that's the way to get, you know, just a 15 to 20 minute injection of, you know, leadership philosophy and practical tools. Um, there are 145 episodes out there as of yesterday morning, so plenty of stuff to choose from. Flick through the list and just see if anything grabs your fancy. And uh, if you like it, there's plenty more where that came from. Awesome. Well, congratulations again. Thanks for working with me. Before Thank you, you go, how, it's been fantastic. how did you find it? <laughs> I, I loved the experience. It was great. Awesome. You know, the, the studio you've got here is brilliant. Um, really, really professional setup, um, which surprised me because I wasn't going to a big CBD studio with all the production uh, quality and everything else. Fantastic studio. Someone you were awesome to work with. Oh, thank you, Mark. Awesome to work with. Really, really clear in how you gave me direction. Um, helped me to bring out my best during this last four days. Yeah. Now, as I talk on the podcast, my voice is a little shredded. Yes, it is. But <laughs> it is four days intensely talking. Yeah, but, but it's been fantastic, and I've really, yeah. really enjoyed the experience, and I'm really looking forward to a quality result. I know it's going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to putting it together, and hopefully by the time you're listening to this, it'll be out and about. Thank you, Martin G. Moore. It's been my pleasure working with you today. Thanks on you too. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. And my guests from around the world. Thank you for being a part of this show. The Simon Filer Podcast. Catch you next time. It's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>